again. Good morning. Glad you're with us today. So for the last um, multiple weeks, actually, we've been talking about the story of Joseph. um, And it's been called, It Is Well. We're talking about how it is well. I'm going to read today from Genesis 45 as we finish up this series Um, And I get to talk about redemption. I get to talk about a little bit more of the happy side of his story. So Genesis 45, the whole chapter, starting from verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You and your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You were also directed to tell them, Do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this was what he sent to his father, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, and they told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler 
of all Egypt. And Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I am convinced. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So the primary question that's been been asked throughout these past few weeks is how are we able to say it is well in all seasons of life? How are we able to say it is well in all seasons of life? Brian has um, spoken about how it is well and it is well when Joseph at the beginning of the story was was a pretty happy kid, had it relatively easy. He was a favorite son. He received a beautiful coat from his, from his father. He had it really, really well. Then we see, moving on that, it is still well when I'm betrayed. It is well when I'm betrayed. Joseph was, was sold out by his brothers. He was thrown into a dark cistern, sold into slavery, totally abandoned by his brothers. His father thought he was dead. He was taken to Egypt and sold to um, a powerful man named, named Potiphar. And things started to get better. He started to work his way up in Potiphar's household. Just when he kind of got to that point of being pretty successful there, he was wrongly accused um, by Potiphar's wife of something he didn't commit. He went back to the darkness. He went back to a prison. And, and, and we talked about it as well when I'm shackled, when he was in this dark place. Again, lost everything. And started to grow in responsibility and um, favor even there. And eventually interprets two dreams for two workers, two servants of the king. One of those dreams did not turn out well for one of them, as we found out. One of them turned out quite well for the other. And as this servant who was restored to his position, the cupbearer, um, he forgot about Joseph. Joseph said, please remember me. This is my way out, possibly. This is my... Redemption, but no, he was forgotten again by this person he did right by and remained in this dark place, remained in this dark prison. So we talked about it as well, even when I'm hopeless. And today it's my job to give you more of the, the happy ending to all of this, more of the happy side to this story. And today I want to say to you, it is well at the end of the story. It is well at the end of the story. You can finally breathe a little sigh of relief after these last few weeks of really heavy discussion and really heavy content. We get to kind of move past that a little bit into the end of the story. So so there are five basic but important elements of a good story. Um, There are the characters, the setting, the plot, the conflict, and the resolution, or we could say for our sake today, the redemption. A good story contains these memorable characters. Um, We have the protagonist, which would be Joseph in the story, who's the main character or the hero of the story. We have the antagonist, who would be the adversaries or the enemy, someone who's set against the main character. And this could be Joseph's brothers who betrayed him. It could be Potiphar's wife who falsely accused him. It could be the cupbearer who forgot him. 
And a good story um, often contains this somewhat maybe happy, peaceful, tranquil beginning, like it did for Joseph, right? It was a happy beginning. And think it is well and it is well, back to the first week of this. And then it might go into forms of conflict, which might be hardship or loss or pain or suffering, seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Think about all the weeks after that. It is well when I'm betrayed, when I'm shackled, when I'm hopeless. Then we come to the resolution or the redemption, which is my job this morning. There's something about redemption and resolution. The story of Joseph is so good and relatable because it contains all of these elements of a good story. And most importantly, it contains the resolution or the redemption. Who here loves to read, uh, read books or watch movies? Or both. I love to do both. Much as I can, I'm sitting down reading a book or watching a movie. So imagine, you know, being a character in this story, a fictional story. Just think of your favorite story. Um, this character who's being written, he or she doesn't know where the story's gone. They have no idea where the plot and the, and the setting and the, the theme and the conflict is leading them, right? They have no idea. The author does. They don't know how it's going to end. And we're not mere puppets in a story. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there is an author. There's someone who sees the story in its entirety and knows how it's going to end. Someone sees the whole story from beginning to end. Even though the characters in the midst of it do not. And I think most of us would say we like happy endings in a story, right? Can we all mostly agree on that? I'm a little weird. Sometimes I like stories that are kind of sad because it's real life, but that's besides the point. So most of us like happy endings because there's something to that, right? There's a reason that's a part of a good story because, because there's something in us that longs for redemption. There's something in a human that we long for a resolution and a redemption. I don't really care who you are, where you're from. There's something in us that wants that resolution. And before I dive into this, I want to ask us something. We're kind of the ones in the middle of a story without really knowing where it's going. And I want to ask us, is, is all we see all there is? Could all we see right now be all there is? Could all we see with our eyes and all we experience in this life be it and nothing more? Is that it? What you see and experience right now, is that all there is? Some would say, yeah, all, all you see, all you have, all you gain, this, that's it. This life, it's over and it's done. You're asleep, you're dead, you're in blackness. If that's the case, then many of our lives and circumstances and stories would be absolutely senseless and meaningless and without purpose or redemption, if, if, if that's true. So is there more to the story? And, and let's find out if there is more to the story. So let's start with this. <clears throat> so if I can keep my voice here, I have to keep my voice down a little bit, I guess, this morning. I can't yell as loud as Brian this morning. So, sorry, Brian. <laughs> um, so at the end of the story, this is really important to remember. I cannot get away from this. When I thought about this week, there's something to this point. At the end of the story, your hardship and pain and suffering is real and not minimized. Your hardship and pain and suffering is real and not minimized. It says in verse 2 and 14 and 15 of Genesis 45, a lot of weeping words, and he wept, Joseph, wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it, and he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin, 
and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. There's really something to those tears in this part of the story. Because we've seen that Joseph was betrayed and sold out and shackled and forgotten and hopeless. And I want to remind us that a happy ending doesn't minimize all of your real, hard, painful experiences. God does not gloss over that. Some of us need to remember that God doesn't just take that stuff away or just kind of ignore it or say, oh, just don't think about that anymore. And in some ways, it could be that all the suffering you went through is what got you to the redemptive ending. That's crazy. Only God does that. There's no other explanation. God does not gloss over your suffering. And I believe that, yes, some of Joseph's tears were tears of happiness, most definitely. But I have to wonder if a lot of it, his tears weren't also a release of the years of the grief and sorrow and brokenness and abandonment that he had been holding and had been building up after all those years. I think it was just as much grief as it was happiness and joy because he realized that part of his story could not be taken away and it was really important and he could not ignore that part of his story. Because his, his reunion and his redemption with his brothers, as beautiful as it was, did not erase the memories of what got him there, of the suffering that brought him to that place. That was a part of his story, and he had to embrace that part of his story if he were to embrace the redemption. Your hardship, pain, and suffering even in the midst of redemption, is real and not minimized. God is really, really present in that because he knows all about suffering. And let's get into a little bit more of some of the happy picture here. Um, Two reasons it's well at the end of the story. First, it is well at the end of the story because God sees the entire picture. In verse 5 and 7 of this chapter, it says... Do not be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. What an incredible thing to be able to say if you're Joseph. How can, how can you stand there and say that to ones who who threw you into a cistern and wanted to kill you, first of all, but ended up just, saving, just selling you into slavery instead of killing you. Way better, you know. Well, we won't kill him, but we'll sell him to, to, into slavery. I guess that's better. Could you imagine, you know, he's there and he's standing there and he says even that God, God sent me here. How can you say that about the circumstances that Joseph went through unless you knew something more Unless you know that all you see is not all there is. Um, and, well, it's not a great view of what I was going to say about this today, but this is an awesome view, and most of you know what it looks like. So imagine, imagine it's like a nice, bright, sunny day, and you can see Lone Peak, and imagine that this place is all blacked out, and you've never seen that view before, and all you have is one little pinhole to look through to that view outside on a nice day you would have no way to grasp the significance of that whole picture if all you had was one tiny little pinhole to look through if this was a pitch black room. 
If you didn't know what the landscape looked like, you would just have to trust that something more is there than what you could see according to some greater faith or belief. And when that whole picture would be revealed, you'd understand, oh, I see. You know, I saw, I saw white, must have been snow. I saw a part of a tree. I saw a rock. I saw, you know, any number of things. And, and there's no way to know how it fits into the whole picture until that whole picture is revealed, and it's much that way throughout our journey and as it was through Joseph's journey. And I want to encourage us in those, those, little, those little glimpses of, of redemption through um, the darkness in our journey. And I don't think we're ever really going to entirely understand how everything fits together, all these little pinhole glances we have throughout life that, that seem to make no sense, but there is this greater picture that we'll someday see how all those things fit together. It takes trust. Like Joseph, who was in darkness for so many years, not knowing where it was all leading, if anywhere at all. And really, I mean, how could he have possibly known that, that all of those things were going to lead him to a place of power in Egypt, How, I mean, there's no way you can make that up. There's no way you could orchestrate bad things that happen to yourself to get you there. Like, that's impossible. There's no way you could have known that all those things were going to lead him to a place of essentially almost being a ruler in all the land of Egypt. Because of all he went through, he literally saved the lives of his family. That's crazy. Because of all the wrongs that were committed against him, that turned into a picture where he saved a story where he saved his whole family. That's, that's incredible. So at the end of the story, it's, it's well because God sees the entire picture. And because there is the promise of redemption. As well at the end of the story, because there is the promise of redemption. In verse 25 to 28, it said concerning Jacob. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is a ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned and he did not believe them when they told him everything Joseph had said to them. He saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back. The spirit of their father Jacob revived and Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Joseph's brothers returned to Jacob, and with them they brought that seemingly impossible good news that Joseph was alive. So all of a sudden, where, Joseph, where Jacob had experienced all this death and loss, there came this sudden, unexpected redemption. Can you just imagine how Jacob as a father, if you're a father or even a mother, you know how it feels with your children. Could you imagine how Jacob felt after all those years of, of believing his son Joseph was dead, of accepting that fact, of living in that fact, of mourning that fact. But guess what? He learns not only that he's alive, but he learns that he is, he is like the second-hand man in like one of the most powerful nations on the face of the earth. Could you imagine what kind of redemption that is for Jacob in this moment? It's not like he's just alive and just ma- barely making it. He's, he's like a ruler in the most powerful nation on earth. That's crazy. And I want to dive into this a little bit more because I think that really reflects well the heart of God because when God restores, He he goes big. He goes all out. He doesn't go halfway. 
He doesn't go part way. When God restores, He goes big and He goes all out. And I want to tie this in to thinking about what God's done for us in Jesus. That wasn't a part way act on our behalf, right? That wasn't a halfway act on our behalf. This story shows how big God's heart is and that He goes all the way. And this is what God does for us because I want to dive into this a little bit. In Jesus, we have this resurrected life. In Jesus, we have this resurrected life. And again, I want to tie it back into something I mentioned at the beginning. It's important to remember that there was an initial initial death that Joseph and Jacob experienced in this before they experienced the resurrection. And I don't want to keep this heavy, but there's something to this. We know it's not always a happy ending in this lifetime. A lot of us in this room know that. I've heard there's been a lot of tears the last few weeks. A lot of us know it's not always a happy ending in this lifetime. Even many followers of Jesus don't get the happy ending, the Hollywood ending in their stories. So we know sometimes there is death. We lose people we love. Sometimes there is sickness. There is loss. There is divorce. People do go hungry and thirsty. People do live in poverty. Some of us have been betrayed and abused and forgotten. And Jesus wants to remind us that, man, I experienced that death before I experienced my resurrection. And Jesus wants to remind us that, you know, I know what it's like to suffer, Jesus says. And I even took every single suffering you've experienced onto myself. I know exactly what it feels like. And death is a part of everyone's story, whether we like it or not. It's, it's inescapable. So let's be honest and say, yes, yeah, sometimes things don't always end well in this life. And I remember being leading a youth group back in Pennsylvania years ago, and there was this lovely, lovely kid named Seth, and um, he was a young teenager, and I think he was about a freshman. He had cancer when he was a child, had beat it. I started leading this youth group, and during this time, his cancer came back with a vengeance I spent a lot of time with him and his family the last few days before he passed away. And that's not a happy ending in terms of what we can see, right? That wasn't a happy ending that we had prayed for, that we had hoped for. And there's even a friend um, of mine from from, um, Big Sky that many of us know who passed away over a year ago. And that wasn't the happy ending we looked for in terms of what we can see, what we experience in this life. It's okay to be honest about that. But guess what? Now to kind of the happy part of this. There's something more to this story. It's not not that all we see is all there is. We are promised and guaranteed a happy ending in the life to come. This is the hope we have as followers of God, as children of God. This is our guarantee. This is what's been given to us in Jesus. If we hope and believe in Jesus and the promises of God, we know for certain what the ending will look like. There is no question or doubt. And the beautiful thing is we live in this tension of the now and not yet, like Brian mentioned last week, where we catch these special resurrection, redemptive glimpses in this life, but we're still waiting for the perfect whole picture to come when all the bad stuff is gone, when all the darkness is gone. In John 11, um, Jesus' best friend had just passed away, Lazarus. And Martha comes up to him 
after her brother had passed away, who's Lazarus' sister, Martha. Essentially, she says, Jesus, where were you? If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. There wouldn't have been death. She's asking this question a lot of us ask. Where were you, Jesus? And Jesus responded by saying, I am the resurrection and and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And I want to ask us, do we believe that? That there's more than what we see and experience and that the promise of God isn't really, really ever fully realized in this experience, but it's going to be realized in the life to come. So I want to quickly uh, challenge us with a few things and then kind of start wrapping this up a little bit. So there's a challenge for us. Let's let's stop looking at our circumstances and look at Jesus, who's the one who holds your redemption. I just want to remind us of some things this morning. Jesus is with you in your hardship and pain and suffering, and he gets it suffering. He gets it. He understands. Jesus knows what it's like to go through the things that you've gone through. He sees the whole story. He's creating a beautiful picture, and he's redeeming your story and making all things new, and he will make all things new. So I guarantee it, there is beauty and hope and redemption in your story because Jesus has been in your story the whole way. He's here in your story right now, and he's going to be there in your story. And at the end of the story, um, I just challenge us to look like Jesus because we can see um, Jesus in the way that Joseph acted towards his brothers at the end of the story. He chose grace and mercy and forgiveness. He could have written his own ending as, as in the position of power he was in. He could have had them executed. He could have had them in prison for life. He could have sent them away without any food. He could have paid them back plus times 10, times 100. But he knew something, right? He knew that God sent me here ahead of you so I can forgive you. I can love you. I can show grace and mercy. It's the really a perfect reflection of what Jesus has done for us. So to the end of the story, let's, let's look at Jesus instead of our circumstances, instead of what we see in front of us, and let's look like Jesus in the way that we give him control of the end of the story rather than trying to write our own ending. And just to, um, to finish out here, just really, so I was thinking about kind of this story and this ending this week. I just, I just sense that there's still um, maybe some heaviness left over, some, I don't know, some darkness lingering from what we've gone through the last few weeks, or just where you're at in your season in general in life. Maybe there's something, something of a heaviness in, in some of our hearts this morning. I don't know, I just felt this a lot this week. I think some of us are struggling with the goodness of God in, in our hearts. I think some of us have been asking, even if we haven't said it out loud, God, where were you when this happened? Where were you when I lost the one I loved? Where were you in in that sickness? When I was in poverty? When I was betrayed? When I lost something that meant a lot to me? 
think some of us are asking, God, where are you now when I'm struggling with emptiness and darkness and depression and hopelessness and addiction? I think God has a couple of things to say in response to that to some of us this morning. I just sense there's some, there's some pain in some of our hearts and I think God wants to say some simple things. He wants to say all along, I've been there in your story. Look across the storyline. Look across the, the picture. Look across the, the pages, the film. I've been there all along in your story. Have you seen those traces of me and those redemptive glimpses? Have you seen me there? And, and he's saying right here and right now, I'm here, I'm in it, I'm in your story. It's like, do you see me? And, and really, are you willing to see me? Are you willing to look past what's just in front of you and willing to see me in your story, even if you don't think I'm there? And I think he says to us today, just remember. Maybe you need to remember something about me that you've forgotten. Remember some part of who I am. Remember it's well at the end of the story. And he says, I promise you, you can hold fast to this. It's going to be well at the end of your story. Even if you don't see it right now, it's going to be well at the end of your story. So I want to go back to that first comment I make. What you see in this life is not all there is. Some of us need to remember that. What you've seen and what you see is not all there is. And what you experience in this life is not all there is. And I just want to remind us that God has prepared a place for you that is without your death, without the sickness that you've experienced, a place for you that is without the suffering and the mourning and the pain and the tears. He's created that place for you, and you have that to look forward to. Even if you don't see it right now, there's a home for you that is free of all of that darkness. Because I think we all know we can lose anything and everything in this life in a moment. But we can't lose the promise. We absolutely cannot lose that promise. There's the absolute guarantee of God making all things new, if not fully right now, then in the life to come. Because I believe some of you really are beat up and broken by life today. And let's not gloss over that. Let's not try to just fix that and just pick ourselves out of it and say, well, God did this for me, so I'm fine. That's not God's heart for you. That's not, that's not God's heart for you. He wants to meet you in that and bring redemption to you in the place you're in instead of you trying to pick yourself up out of it and come to this place that you have to make it to before you can find the redemption. That's not the way it works. God's always come to us. So you need to remember that God is good today. The truest part of our Father, that He is good, that He's redeeming, and will redeem fully what's broken in your life. So I want to finish by reading a passage that explains this promise for us this morning from Revelation 21. I want you just to, you can close your eyes, bow your head, just reflect on what's being read and take in this promise and this picture of what we have to look forward to now and to come. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. 
loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. The end of the story, the Father says, it is well. So Lord... Lord, these words, um, these words in and of themselves don't hold any power, God. So I pray that you would affirm them, you breathe life in them and, and place them in our hearts, God. And that, Lord, I want to I see redemption, Lord, show itself here and now in, in, in little glimpses, God. That you would give each of us uh, the glimpse of redemption that we need today, God. That little glimpse and reminder, God, of God, the perfect's coming, and you're going to give us some of that right now. And thank you for preparing a place of rest for us to come, Lord, and also preparing a place of rest for us right here and right now, God, in in the moment, Lord. In the moment, Father. Lord, and today we can say it as well because you are with us, Lord, and just remind us that you always have been with us in that story, and you always are with us in this story and you always will be with us God in this story Lord and our, our greatest good is your nearness God that is our sustenance that is our our lifeblood God that our greatest good God is just that you're with us God and that you promise God to make all things new and give us glimpses of that God every day so thank you for that Lord and please speak your redemption over us today God <clears throat>